Welcome to Talking Bach, a podcast by Bach Academy Australia. My name is Madeline Easton and I am the Artistic Director of Bach Academy Australia. This podcast series will accompany each of our concert series throughout the year. The topic of discussion for our upcoming concert series is In Bach's Orbit. The idea for this podcast season is to whet your appetite for the wonderful music of Bach you will hear and to also really deepen and enrich your knowledge of the key figures in Bach's life who guided him and influenced him both musically and personally. We explore why and how a true genius becomes a true genius, a question many artists and scholars have contemplated and cannot be answered without debating the argument of nature versus nurture. My guest today is Dr. Brendan New. Brendan is a clinical psychologist who has worked in the field of child protection and mental health for over 15 years and has a deep commitment to working with vulnerable children and families. His therapeutic experience includes casework, advocacy and psychologist roles in New Zealand, the United Kingdom, the USA and more recently Australia. Brendan currently divides his time between his clinical practice in a public child mental health service in Western Sydney and varying teaching roles around New South Wales. He is a firm believer in the importance of reflective practice and the benefits of learning from others and wherever possible incorporates these principles into his teaching. In this episode, Brendan helps us explore the question of nature versus nurture from a medical point of view, exploring the ramifications of childhood trauma which Johann Sebastian Bach certainly suffered and how that can manifest in genius or not. Brendan, welcome to our podcast. Welcome to Talking Bark. Thanks, Maddie. Very good to be here. So tell me, first of all, um, why has the topic of nature versus nurture been so fascinating to us for so long? So, yeah, I think um, like nature, nurture is, so I, I did my training, what would I say, like close to 30 years ago, I started training as a psychologist and it was a really big, it's always been a really large topic. And I think one of the reasons it's so fascinating to so many people is because it kind of like another way of saying it is what influence do human beings have on each other, particularly children. And so that that nature being we so predestination and being locked into that this is our path and that our genetics define who we are and what we do um, and nurture being saying that, you know, you could that genetics don't matter and that whatever you you do is what your environment creates and people with vested interests kind of arguing back and forth around that. So really hard examples of that are things like eugenics and places like that, that would say that this person, and that's really interesting for Bach, like in terms of some of his, Absolutely. some of the arguments around his background, but around certain uh, cultures being, um, you know, more intelligent or more capable than others. And um, then on the other hand, you know, the idea that, that a family history or or the things that the genetic background that your family has is absolutely you know whatever you put your mind to you'll be able to achieve which i think is an equally like extreme view and so that backing and forth thing really interests people yeah it, it certainly interests me um i'm just kind of thinking about my own family um uh, yeah. sort of uh, not that of course not that this is about me in any way but 
saying that my my father was born into a family of zero musicians mm. although my grandfather did buy a piano and having never ha never had a lesson in his life used to sit down and play to us just by memory and he figured it out he mm. had that ear um and he used to play us all kinds of fabulous little tunes he'd, he'd hear on the radio mm. you know like old war tunes and all sorts of things like that and i remember them and i never had the music but just figured it out and started mm. playing and then my father came into the mix he was one of four kids in a very poor family and he just excelled in music mm. completely excelled and ended up one of australia's most well-known pianists composers and arrangers so it's weird how these things can just happen yeah it is and my mum my mum's was an early childhood teacher and she, one of her big things was how many you know how many geniuses are we losing out on because we don't nurture them like who who might have that potential they didn't have your dad that got that piano and gave that opportunity i would include myself in that i've i've really tried to nurture both my children in music even though i don't play myself and so if we hadn't spent if we had if i had decided to spend money and time on something else than taking my daughter to learn the violin and and, and helping grow her love for it then the reality is she wouldn't have played if we hadn't bought her a violin it would not that she wouldn't have played but it would have been a lot harder and she just happens to have i think a great ability at it that you know so that's a really like in like your dad's piano or me going i'm going to sacrifice basically half of every saturday for as long as it needs to be for her to like grow as a violinist i think it's a really interesting question and then we have another daughter who's so gifted in so many visual arts but not the musical and we tried her in the piano and gave her exactly the same opportunities and eventually went, we'll, we'll fill your time with other creative efforts because this is not, you're actually really not enjoying it. Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. But um, I was talking about just this year um, with uh, Professor Peter Wolney, yeah. who's the head of the Bach Archive in Leipzig, who I've had the privilege of talking to uh, a couple of days ago. Um, uh, he will also be one of the guests on this series oh, wow. of the podcast. And he was talking to me about how um, he thinks it's it's a huge tragedy that these days music isn't mm. as central to the school curriculum mm. as it once was. And we had a really good chat about the curriculum that Bach was put under, mm. that he was trained with. And uh, music in the uh, sort of late 1600s, early 1700s in Lutheran Germany mm. was at the core of the school curriculum. Yeah. They started every day in summer, 6am with singing all of the hymns and everything like that. Music went throughout the day. Now, can you imagine that happening these days? No, no. And like I said, that, I think that that's the other bit. If you're saying why is nature and nurture such an old and important conversation, if you take the example of music or another, another big one is um, what I'd call PE, but you know, people that are gifted dancers or movement or so anything creative, anything expressive, anything movement based, the curriculum's just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And if you don't, so from a psychological perspective, if you don't expose this person to what they have the potential to be geniuses in, then they can definitely still do it, but it is so much harder and you lose so many people that that might have that opportunity because they don't have because the other word for like training and things is just to be exposed to to have oh, an no. opportunity to play a piano to sing in a group to run to dance and as the curriculum's gotten smaller these these are the things that are falling out and, and i think what's particular yeah, yeah it's a tragedy and i think also the correlation between musicality and intelligence like 
there is a really strong link between people that are musically gifted. You look at the parts of the brain that are active in that, and they are often very good, for example, at maths um, and at other, yeah. So not all of us, um, and certainly, you know, my daughter needs a bit of help, but there is, it's really, there's a very clear correlation, if not between the intelligence, but the learning behavior to learn an instrument is priceless. So the self-discipline, self-motivation, you know, taking small, like working towards a large achievement by small incremental tasks, those are, those are fantastic things to be able to learn, whether you're a genius player or not. It's really sad. Apparently there are really incredible neural pathways that get formed when one learns a musical instrument. Is that true? As far as I know. So my, I've spent a lot of time with music therapists that talk a lot about that and around the ability to, um, so two things, one would be, so the, because I work in out of home care and, and child protection, like I'm really used to kids that the spoken word is something that they're very guarded or defended against. So one of the things around those, if you're trying to get new pathways of like self-regulation, so controlling self or co-regulation, being with somebody and having greater control, then one of the things that the music therapists talk a lot about is that music is a really good way of forming new pathways, but not using spoken word. And so that's really powerful. And then the the other one, there's a lot of conversations about, and I, I always mispronounce it, but around prosody and around rhythm and around these, there's these re this really deep learning, really big research in pathways learned that we're rhythmic creatures that we learn from the womb to rock and to move and our vestibular movements and our inner ear tell us it's really important. Um, information and then rhythm as well like heartbeat and rhythm is, is incredibly important so I don't know as much about the age I would guess that that's going to be in younger children absolutely but so whether so one would be it forms new pathways the other one would be it helps you access pathways that you've got there's lots of work in dementia and in aged care around what music so it's an incredibly powerful medium we're going to lose a lot if like that's a very big loss if we're not bringing people into that yeah Yes, well, I will do my absolute best to yeah. campaign as hard as I can to get yes. more music into schools in whichever way I possibly can. And we will be there. I'm here in part because that's a really good fight to fight. Yeah, it really yeah. is. And uh, yes, we must not lose a single gifted child. Mm. Um, but what you were talking about, about music being a pathway where words perhaps aren't, really rings true for Bach, actually, because he went through such incredible hardship. Mm. Um, you know, his mother died when he was nine years old. And his father died less than a year later. Mm. So he was orphaned at the age of 10. And he was shunted off to his elder brother, who was 13 years older than him, mm -hmm. in a different town, which was much smaller and much less cosmopolitan than Eisenach, where he grew up. And um, can you just imagine? And the brothers, you know, they rubbed each other up the wrong way quite a few times. And there's a few documented examples of where his older brother scolded the young Sebastian Bach for squirreling away uh, music, which inspired mm. him. And he was, you know, stayed up late with a little candle copying out music. And um, it, it wasn't a happy time for him. Um, but poor, poor young Johann Sebastian, he had to grow up incredibly quickly. Mm. And it was him and his younger brother, Jacob, who were, as I said, shunted off to his older brother. Mm. Um, fortunately for him, he had his um, great uncle, Johann Christoph Bach, whose music we will be playing in this program. Mm -hmm to keep an eye on him and to, to encourage him. Um, his older brother, also called Johann Christoph, <laughs> uh, talk about being perhaps a little bit of the nature side of things mm. coming into here. We have um, the young Johann Sebastian being coached by his older brother in the art of organ playing. 
um, which was a happy circumstance. Mm. And he was a great organist, mm. his older brother. He really was. So at least he had that good tuition. Mm. And then he had the genes and the genetics and the musical inspiration from his, his great uncle. Uh, so I think, weirdly, being often, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, this is a, a supposition I'm making, but the young Bach, you know, he would have had to um, possess an enormous amount of fortitude mm. and grit and practicality to get through mm. those young years being completely uprooted mm. like that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's a whole other conversation about like the connection between childhood tragedy and, and genius, whether it's musical or art or dance or like acting if you look at it so many are where music is a is a is an expression of that and what would it have been like like how many happy geniuses are there and i know there's lots um but there's a lot of unhappy like if you look at many many of the great artists and i said Bach, like just that story is organized around loss mm. and around separation and around adjustment and around you know, being inside your head and, and the music being an expression or a way to, like I said, self-regulate, like make meaning out of it, mm. express really strong emotions. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a really, I think that's really interesting. I also listen to you speak. It's a fascinating thing as a New Zealander coming from these, coming from Polynesian culture, like if you want nature and nurture for bark, where is the musicality? Like where are the, where, where, how is musical genius expressed? in cultures that don't didn't organize around the piano or the violin and it's fascinating coming from new zealand like so i don't i'm not i don't create music but i've always appreciated music because i grew up in large maori communities where singing and the guitar um and church music to some degree and you, you hear the beautiful Samoan and tongan like choirs and the singing that comes through their churches there and you go, well, that's that's another, like, that's your nature and nurture. If you're not exposed mm -hmm. to that, and I know I've joked with my, my daughter is Jewish, my wife is Jewish, you know, the running joke being, you know, a Jewish child can choose any instrument in the world that they want to play between piano and violin. <laughs> yes, it's like, <laughs> because the cult, yeah, that any, any instrument as well, as long as it's one of those two. And I'm joking partly, but those instruments have such a strong... Um, nurture and we were talking like that idea of like the nurture of expressing the jewish story of loss of separation of being isolated from professions but being allowed to play music and we you know that conversation about how many repetitions how many generations do you have for example the violin normalized as a jewish instrument in the jewish community before it becomes you know it almost becomes nature yeah, it's yeah, it, it, it does. It, it really does. And if yeah, you look at really the, it, it's a fascinating thing. And again, Chinese, Korean, um, like the diaspora and how they've adopted that. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. Well, I think you really hit the nail on the head there because, you know, um, J. S. Bach was born into a family where he four generations before mm. him had been working and practicing musicians. Yeah. So that's you said. How many repetitions does it take to produce a, a Johann Sebastian? Four. Four. <laughs> four. We're counting. Four. Yeah, yeah, we're counting. <laughs> that's right. And who are we missing out on when we disrupt that if they can't afford, you know, if that's not in schools? Exactly. I know. Mm. I mean, I'm just thinking about the other musical sort of dynasties around that time. You had the Couperins in France and you had the Scarlattis in Italy, um, uh, you know, families like that. But uh, I think, um, oh, and the Benders, there were four or five generations of Benders, actually, um, 
coming from the east of Europe, but the Bachs were a huge generation, mm. but they were all poor. Mm. And when you're talking about um, childhood trauma and that how it affects genetically, and especially when you brought up the Second World War, uh, you were talking to me about a fascinating subject, which is if a set of parents or even a couple of generations were exposed to famine and hardship, that that actually genetically mm. affects their children. Yeah. Um, talk to me about that. So there's a picture, and I always get it a little bit wrong, but there's a picture in attachment theory where they show a pregnant woman and they go, and that pregnant woman is the grandmother. And then that pregnant woman, the baby and the pregnant woman is mother. And then the eggs that that girl, that infant child, that infant female child will be born with. She's born with those eggs. They don't, she's complete. So you've got in your grandmother's, so your grandmother's experience of being pregnant with your mother will shape the way that your mother gestated you and you as a female child created your eggs. So that picture I've always stuck in by going, well, you know, yeah, it kind of matters what my mother experienced while she was pregnant. No, it matters what your mother's experience of being in utero was because her eggs that became you were shaped by your grandmother's experience so it's kind of like that connects your three generations which as a husband of a holocaust like her parents being holocaust surviving and most of them didn't those deprivations those experiences so the example i did and i'm going to massively misrepresent it so i always like do the hyperbole to tell a good story and that's okay but generally speaking if you so they did a whole bunch of studies in 1944 from memory of women that gave birth after the German occupation of Holland in World War II. And they were pregnant in famine conditions, but they gave birth in pretty close to normal conditions because the Americans liberated. There was a bunch of American and English or American food coming in. So they were starving when pregnant, gave birth to babies that were um had enough food and their mums had enough food, but those babies that were born in 1945 still metabolized food differently because they were conceived and gestated expecting a hard world that didn't have a lot of food. And then what was even more amazing is that many of those, so the women that were born in 1945 then had children in the 60s and 70s and their children metabolized food differently, even though it had been 30, 40 years post those famine conditions under Nazi Germany occupation. So part of that, like the, the amazing part for that for me is just how important it is to like nurture pregnant women, really important to, to care for them, but also just how those genetics shape, particularly through hardship and through loss and grief, how those, how those things impact on the chemical experience of the baby in utero of high stress, starvation, deprivation, you know, Barker would have been exposed. Like if he's got four generations of poverty, then that's what I'm saying. So nurtured death, sorry, nature is really important. Yeah. But the difference is if he'd had that and then not had grown into a family of four generations of um, musicians and gifted musicians, then he wouldn't, I think I would argue it has to be both. Yeah. I would absolutely argue the same, yeah. actually, um, in this case, particularly. Um, yeah. So yeah. neoliberals don't. Neoliberals will say you make what you are and it's like you have free will, like everything. It's like the Sounds opposite. Sounds very Margaret Thatcher to yes. me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you have a, uh, I won't swear, so if you have a hard life, 
um, then that's your heart, that's your choice. You chose to do that. If you want to be a violin, a gifted violinist, you only need to learn, and you'll be able to get there. And I'd be interested. I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you questions. Yes, you can ask. But me I'm questions. really interested. In what What are your thoughts on? And don't panic. But if I said, "Hey, Maddie, I'd really like to play the violin. Can you teach me?" Like we've talked a lot about. Didn't grow up with music. Yeah. I've never played an instrument. I have pretty strong ADHD tendencies. I'm middle-aged. I don't learn fast. Do you think, like from a nurture argument, do you think you could nurture me into a genius? Uh, I think I could with a lot of hard work and if I gave up all other employment, yeah. you'd so have to be investment. rich. You'd have to pay me a fortune to do this, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then I could, I could spend, I don't know, six or seven hours a day with you trying to build the technique. Yeah. Um, but there is something that you have to have, which you can't learn. And I think that's an innate sense of musicality yeah. and phrasing and like a feel for the harmony. About. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's an affinity for it, I yeah. suppose. And some people are really left brained, some people are really right brained. It's a whole other conversation, but uh, I, I right. can come back and talk okay, about it. Okay, let's come back to that. Right I like that conversation. Yeah. I am insanely right brained. Mm. I can't add up to save my life. Mm. I had to have coaching to get me through the most basic level of maths at schools. Mm. I probably shouldn't be admitting that, but hey-ho, mm. it's a long time ago. Um, so the whole concept of it's mathematics and music in me, no, 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 mm. no. Um, however, anything to do with art, history, languages, geography, music, mm. I'm all over it. So there's a, a, it's a different topic, but one, you know, be really interested. So there's a, I'm trying to remember his name. So there's a neuroscientist. There's a whole bunch of research where people go, are you right brain or left brain? And then he says, all of us are right brain because we have to be. So it all goes, he go, talks about right brain, left brain, right brain. So to, anyway, it's a different conversation, but that how we process information, the creative, expressive, nonverbal or non-logical part has to get the information. Then it goes over to the left brain hemisphere and kind of gets tidied up and organized and but then it has to come back out because when we're connecting with another human being our right brain has to be dominant it does again because, because and, yeah. and full stop math exactly finance yeah. music parenting <laughs> intimacy whatever you want to call it well i think it's but it's being a successful functioning human being throughout mm. life if you don't have empathy if you don't have compassion yeah. if you can't get along with other people you will never yeah. ever be a success and, and that's got nothing right. to do with mathematics does it right. yeah, yeah. Right. and i'm just thinking about bach again because throughout his life he made shrewd choices he he carefully chose his spouses mm. yeah he didn't um, like some of his other relatives fall in love with the wrong person okay. and cause mm. immense difficulty for themselves and all sorts of stuff like that no mm. no no he was very level-headed he seemed to be i mean of course there are the um the stories which i'm sure all of the bark aficionados out there will know you know like the famous one where he had a big punch up in the town square with the bassoonist in Mulhausen. <laughs> yeah. i know awesome. that is so That's awesome right because everyone thinks of bark as yeah. being the you know the schooled cantor mm. the serious picture on the wall the man who can write double fugues at mm. the toss of a hat you know he wasn't always like that mm. and i also do not believe that he could have write music with such joy and passion mm. but the thing about bach is that it's every single note he wrote was balanced it was ordered mm. and in that way it reminds me of newtonian mm. um newtonian physics it reminds me of copernican systems of the universe it reminds me of galileo's system of all, uh, all it's, it's in balance yeah, yeah. and when you look inside his music this is really fascinating 
if you study the the um, numerology of the bar numbers and of the key relationships and the symmetry in his music, you realise that here is a very ordered mathematical mm. brain. Now, what's completely amazing is that, um, again, if you look at the curriculum in his school, any kind of mathematics was basically absent. He was mm. never, ever taught anything more than basic adding up. Mm. So where did this incredible sense of balance and proportion come from? That I, again, I don't know enough about it. It'd be fascinating to hear what a music therapist would have to say, but that's my understanding of the correlation between math and music is that you don't have to be good at math to do music or vice versa. But if you're good at music, there is a, I don't know what to call it, a framework, a structure, and a logic because there has to be. So yeah. music is ordered sounds. I know it might not be. Like I know there's different bits, but there's there's a there's rules or there's an understanding, there's a shared understanding. And so even and that part of it is the bit that I can't get my head around. That's the bit that I struggle where I keep saying, but why? But I do why, it for both yeah. math and music. Like why is this? Why is it face? Like, why is it these in this order? What is the history of that thing? Is this the best way that we could be doing it? And my musical daughter and my musical wife go, you just, you've got to stop. You've just got to learn <laughs> the rules. And then you can then build on those. And math, apparently, is very simple. I work with human beings for a reason. Like, we're illogical, mm. um, chaotic things. And that I get. But I think it is, that it is it's in the same... It's in the same, and it's fascinating as well with, because um, there used to be a conversation, and I don't use it anymore, but autistic savant, where you would have auto, high-functioning autism associated with a high level of expression, like music and math connected really strongly there, but really struggled with other human beings. Mm. And I've wondered sometimes, looking at, at looking back on that, whether music was actually a way for some people before we knew more about some of those sorts of diagnoses, and I'm not suggesting for Bach at all, but I'm interested around some of that real ordered, deeply logical mm. and the preoccupied, just how much time and energy they would invest into these incredible creations. Well, we couldn't have picked a better composer to sort of shine a light on that particular aspect than Bach. Mm. Um, in some of our other programs that we've done, we've done pieces such as Bach's musical offering, which is a staggering example of numerology and symbology mm. and cryptology mm. woven into the music um and as i said before that it's a deeply mathematical yeah. brain in there yeah and he he loved all that stuff he used to weave musical uh puzzles for people to work out and yeah, leave little why, clues to figure out to why decode yeah. um, sorry danny my, being my wife loves yeah. his music yeah. oh oh look it's, it's incredible um but you know we're also talking about a man who married very 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 consciously and very well and um which is probably very unusual um he's in his two marriages they were very happy mm. very contented very unusual very yeah. unusual yeah um and he had a lot of children by his first wife he had um 10 children with maria barbara bach mm. and then she sadly died very suddenly whilst he was away on holiday with mm. his boss uh and then he came back and found that he had to support all these children, mind you, so many of them didn't survive. Yeah, Unbelievable. Mm. Um, but then he thought he was very practical and he thought, okay, I need to do something about this. I need to get a job with a, a higher salary and I need to uh, slightly unromantically find myself another wife. Yeah. And he married Anna Magdalena mm. Bach, mm. who was quite a lot younger than him, mm. but it was a true love match. They supported each other. Mm. They helped each other. She 
meticulously copied out his scores and she helped him and they had something like 13 children. Good Lord. Many of yeah, which died. Passed. Something mm. six or seven of which died. Can mm. you imagine? Now, here's another thought. A lot of children from his first marriage died and then many more from his second marriage died. Can you imagine the constant loss of children? Mm. That would absolutely break your heart over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. look, that's it then. There's a whole other conversation around how, like, um, how what function creating music serves to process that grief. Mm. Um, and I think, again, like I said, like just being able to find a way to express that um, and to have that gift to be able to do that and to to lose, yeah, just about everything, really. Mm. Um, but again, that's that idea of like, where are the happy geniuses? Well, like, Mozart was pretty happy. Yep. He was actually one of the happiest people around. He had a good life? Uh, well, he did and he didn't. <laughs> yeah. So maybe a different way of saying it, not happy, because that you're absolutely spot on. There's many happy geniuses. But so again, just thinking like, what is the correlation between that nurture like what are those early developmental experiences as a child and then coming into parenting where you go, many of them, there's been multiple losses. And I'd still say now, if you talk to a lot of like the sacrifice that people have to do to be a musician in, in the here and now watching the music, and this is before COVID, like I just think there's so many things around that idea. So nurturing doesn't stop. Most of the nature nurture is a conversation around parenting and kids. Mm. But again, like we were talking about how do you exactly what you're doing like how do you hold this great musician up how do you get him known and better understood if you don't nurture that but with Bach I'm just thinking about it um he lost his parents so young and his father was a professional musician working professional musician his grandfather his great great grand mm. grandfather and the great 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 grandfather they were all working professional musicians none of them had any money there are stories where they've had to they had to go to their employers and beg for food mm. and the letters have survived and you know their sort of pride didn't allow them to beg but they got to the point especially his great uncle Johann Christoph where he was he wrote to his employer and said I am in rags I have nothing mm. please will you pay me and they didn't get paid for a year at a time mm. in fact the way musicians were treated back then is nothing short of scandalous mm. you know um and if you aren't born into money I have to say not of course, things have changed. We're much better able to be self-sufficient. But mm. back then, you really did have to rely on the patronage. Yeah. Um, why am I saying all this? So when he was orphaned and he moved in with his older brother and that other figure there, uh, I guess there wasn't a lot of nurture going on uh, apart from his those immediate few people around mm. him. But Bach basically took it on himself to educate himself. At the age of 15, he walked 280 miles up to Lüneburg in the north mm. to learn from Georg Bohm, this famous organ teacher, and to hear Dietrich Buxtehude mm. play. And even at the age of 15, he had the presence of the mind, presence of mind, and the sheer tenacity and single-mindedness to make that massive journey. Uh, and that's where he knew he had to be. And it's almost like he was he was light years ahead of his um, mm. colleagues in that regard. It is interesting though, because when you talk about like Copernicus, and I'm trying to remember what it is, so you needed it while I stumble but there was this thing around if you mapped out these great thinkers these great composers these great politicians they kind of mapped them out it's like holy heck they were all kind of clumped in the Austro-Hungarian empire or the German like these little principalities, the principalities so what yeah. was it about those places and I wonder 
whether one of them being, yes, they were poor and there might not have been nurturing going on, but it also wouldn't have been unusual to have a family of composers in a German principality as opposed to Russia or even England or some of these places where you go, like, it's, there's, a, there's an expectation that there's this great musical talent in this really small part of the world that just created all this great, burgeoning and the conversation that came out of it was why the printing press why was Gutenberg like why the printing press there and part of it was lots of arguments but Protestant like the the Reformation and then the response to the counter-reformation like there's a bunch of historical factors that go we will nourish creativity Hmm. in this time and they still do like the Germans still like that is a like ingenuity creativity is deeply nourished in that part of the world in a way that I think it isn't here, for example. Yeah. It's almost like you have to do it despite Australia. I would agree with that. No, I absolutely would. I would say um, let's add that to the melting pot of nurture nurture. rather than nature, but nurture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, going right back to the beginning of our conversation about the curriculum and music being at the centre of it right from the word go. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, because that part of German, Thuringia, where Bach was born, that was um, Lutheran, but up the road in Dresden, mm. that's Catholic. Yeah. And France was Catholic. Italy was Catholic. There were lots of and just incredible things. wars, like like hundred year wars, thirty year wars. Just oh, the so thirty year war the decimated, decimated. Um, Germany, and that's why they were in such dire straits yeah. financially. These musicians desperately tried to survive. Yeah. It's an it's an amazing part of the world. It is. You're yeah. absolutely right. That's amazing. And just think about the plague. The mm. plague was everywhere at that time. It's an absolute bleeding miracle mm. Bach didn't succumb to the plague. Mm. So aren't yeah. we lucky? Yeah, well, and again, but what are we doing? I know I'm going on about it, but like what are you doing when you take a curriculum? Like what what are you destroying about the exposure? Like one part would be, yeah, the plague came through and ripped people through, but the other one is like who are the geniuses? Like to quote my mum again, like who are we losing by not nurturing this music, this musicality, how do we notice our our next bark? Like how would we do that? Well, we just have to we just have to cross our fingers and hope that all the really hard working, dedicated music teachers giving of their free time, nurturing talent all over the country. And I know there are thousands of us all over the place yeah. trying our very best. We just have to hope that whoever spots that person yeah. will will encourage will encourage them, yeah. you know. And yes, hopefully build the systems in place around them to allow that to happen. Yeah. Because being a teacher, it's an honour. It's a total honour, in my opinion. Um, and just to think what you could give this child, what we could give the human race as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I think that's both exciting and terrifying. Isn't it just? Yeah. Well, really thank exciting. you so much for giving of your time to nice. come and be on, awesome. on, on Talking Bach. It's been amazing to hear your insights. Um, absolutely fascinating. And I hope everyone has gained... I certainly have a much greater insight into sort of the the medical side of it, really, and all the effects that nature and nurture can have. Yeah. Um, It's an endlessly fascinating topic. I wish we could talk for hours and hours and hours more. But uh, this is all the time we've got. Thank you so much again, Brendan. You're welcome, Maddie. My pleasure. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that chat just as much as I did. Now, to find out more about Bach Academy Australia, make sure you visit our website, which is www.bachacademyaustralia.com.au. Make sure you spell Academy the German way as well, spelt A-K-A-D-E-M-I-E, staying true to our German roots, of course. 
On our website, you can find out the details of all our upcoming performances near you and you can subscribe to our e-newsletter. Also, you can find Bach Academy Australia on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. But make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time. Thank you.